The following sermon was delivered by Executive Pastor Reverend Dr. Jonah So in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here's Reverend Dr. Jonah So. An article I read pointed out to one of the habits of parents who raise successful children is to encourage their kids to ask questions. If the parent doesn't know the answer, they demonstrate to the child how to find the answer. Get a book, look it up on a computer, call someone, show them how to research. So confession time. This makes me feel panicky. <laughs> because as, as much as I truly believe that there is no such thing as a stupid question, it truly feels like sometimes there are. <laughs> to be fair, kids ask such good questions too. But for most of the good questions, my answer often is, I don't know or I'm not sure. I'm supposed to say, let's find out. But to be like completely honest with you, my tiredness often wins and compels me to say, I don't know, and hope that my kids will stop asking me questions. I know it's so bad, but I promise, I'm like, I'm like trying. You know, I, I notice that I get most annoyed when I'm having a conversation with Jennifer, and the kids start asking a bunch of questions related to what I had assumed was a private conversation. It doesn't seem like they pay much attention to me when I address them directly as much as they do when I'm like talking with their mother. And I try to avoid, I do my best to try to avoid phrases like mind your own business or I wasn't talking to you because I'm like afraid that if like, if I say stuff like that, they'll like never want to talk to me or I'll crush their curiosity. But it's hard. But there is a positive from all of this. I learned that sometimes Kids internalize things better when they overhear conversations between their parents. So using that to our advantage, Jennifer and I talk about things we want kids to know with one another, assuming that our kids are listening to us. Like, I'm no expert, but it seems to be a decent trick. I, I, I mean, parenting tip. I mean, if, if we really want to hide things from them, we speak in Korean. <laughs> All the more reason our kids should strive to learn the language. <laughs> but, but seriously, like, I wonder. I wonder if Jesus was doing something similar with his disciples. In the Gospel of John, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is directly speaking to his disciples. Then, in chapter 17, Jesus looks up to the heaven and begins to pray. In the prayer, Jesus converses with the Father. And as Jesus prays, the disciples overhear him. So let's listen in on that prayer from the Word of God as it comes to us from John chapter 17, starting with the sixth verse. And you'll notice that the passages is numbered so that we could kind of make references again. 
I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything you have given me is from you, for the words you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. All of chapter 17 is a prayer said by Jesus. But it is, a, it is for a specific audience identified in verses 9 and 10. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I have been glorified in them. The prayer is for the disciples. It is not for the world. It is for them. Jesus prays for his own. He prays for those who belong to God. And we hear that Jesus is glorified in them. What do they find out in this prayer? By like overhearing. They find two things. The first is Jesus identifies with the disciples. This is made clear in verses 8, 14, and 18. So we'll take a look. Verse 8. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. They have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So the disciples have the same words that Jesus received from the Father. They got that. Verse 14. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. So the disciples don't belong to the world and is hated by it in the same way that Jesus does not belong to the world and is hated by the world. And in verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them 
into the world. So Jesus, the disciples are sent into the world the same way that Jesus was sent into the world. So this group, this group of individuals, when we read about them, when we study them, we find that they are not perfect. Throughout their time with Jesus, they doubted. They were afraid. They would abandon him. They would betray him. If this is your group, you like that descriptive? This was his group. And Jesus didn't try to distance himself from them, despite their failings and imperfections. Rather, he did the opposite. He identified with them. He was intimately associated with them. And so the first thing they learned through this prayer is that Jesus identifies with his disciples. The second thing they learn is that Jesus is one with the Father. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. You know, a prophet's job is to give the word of God to the people. Like a prophet, Jesus gives God's word. However, it's more than that. We proclaim that Jesus is God. And thus, he gives the knowledge of the Father straight to the people. Verse 11 makes it even more clear. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus announces that he is leaving this world to return to the Father. He is confident of where he is going after his death. And he goes on to claim that he and the Father are one. The oneness that Jesus has with God is the oneness that the disciples are to have with one another. So let's make sense of these two discoveries. We find that Jesus is for us in two ways. First, he identifies with us so that we take the steps that he himself took. Jesus doesn't ask us to go where he himself has not gone, and he is with us each step of the way. And second, he prays to the Father on our behalf. And we know that the Father is not a stranger to Jesus. The Father listens to Jesus. So I want us to review what Jesus asks of the Father. Of the Father who listens to him, what does he ask of him? In verses 11 and 12. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost so that scripture might be fulfilled. What Jesus requests is Jesus asking the Father to protect us. 
Jesus prays for his disciples as if they are his children. I have to pause here for a second because it sometimes feels a little disorienting. Because according to our Trinitarian understanding of God, we identify God the Father as the first person of the Trinity. And Jesus, the Son of God, as the second person of the Trinity. So given that Jesus is the Son of God, and we call ourselves children of God, according to that logic, Jesus is a brother to us. And to have a fellow sibling pray for us as if he were our parent, that's just a little bit weird. So I just wanted to address this idea so that we don't get all confused. How could my brother be praying the Father? So let me just expound that with, a, with um, a, a quote here. In his essay, in the Connections Commentary, Jason Biasi puts it this way. Most of my prayers for my children are for their protection. I treat God as a sort of talisman to cast a spell of defense around my family. There's nothing wrong with praying for protection. Jesus asks for something similar here for his. He has the authority to pray in a way that effectively orders God around. What Biasi is conveying is the idea that Jesus is one with God. It was the Father who sent him, and Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus has the right and the authority to ask these things of God. It is not disrespectful. It is God asking God. And so why does Jesus ask God to protect and guard us? Verse 15 gives insight. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. Jesus does not ask the Father to take the disciples out of the world. Rather, Jesus asks the disciples to be protected from the evil one. And this is an important idea for the disciples to overhear. Parents are not going to take their child out of the school that has many bullies and other hostile students. Rather, ideally, the parents will equip, train, encourage, and empower their child to survive and thrive in such an environment. <clears throat> Protection is not the only request Jesus makes. He makes a second request in verse 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Jesus prays that the disciples are made holy with the truth of the word. What does it mean to be made holy? To be sanctified? It depends. If you've grown up in the church, it is possible that being made holy is associated with not doing things, not drinking or smoking, not dancing or having sex, not playing cards or gambling. Holiness often provides a sense of being better than your neighbor who is doing those things. 
Is that what Jesus means by praying that we are made holy? Verse 18 gives us more insight. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So does Jesus send us into the world so we can be better than the world and thus be judgmental? All right, being judgmental is fun. We know it. Okay. But according to scripture, we are sent as he was sent. Let me make sense of this with a more familiar passage from, found in this gospel. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God loves the world. Even though the world hates Jesus and hates us, Jesus loves the world. He was not sent, not sent to condemn it, but to save it. And we are sent like Jesus was sent. It means that God sanctifies us. It means that God makes us holy in order for us to be a blessing to this world. We are able to be a blessing by telling the world and showing it the radical, inclusive love of Jesus. So what does this passage in prayer mean for us? Two things. First, pray for the world. We must pray for the world because Jesus prayed for us who were sent into the world. That is, in order to bless it. You know, often in the wake of disaster, like the fires in Hawaii, or in relation to gun violence and mass shootings, on social media, thoughts and prayers are sent out. Thoughts and prayers. You know, we could observe at some point the tide shifted and people started rejecting the offers of thoughts and prayers. Probably because of the frequency of the events, a connection was made between thoughts and prayers and the related inaction and ineffectiveness to stop the shootings and killings. I mean, I recall distinctively feeling that same sentiment. And I found myself wondering, what good are our prayers that seemingly do nothing? This prayer by Jesus was just that. Today's passage is a thought and prayer by Jesus. Although the action comes later, and indeed it does, Jesus still prayed for the disciples. Jesus prayed and then went to the cross. That is because prayer matters. Thinking and praying 
motivates us to live accordingly. When we pray for others, our heart and our love grows for them. It keeps them on our minds. It sets us up to act rightly when the time comes. Second, be courageous in figuring out the right way to act. Christianity is a balancing act. It lives in attention. We are exhorted to be in the world, but not of the world. And this is an ongoing dilemma and balancing act described by Biasi in this way. Christians who overemphasize the in part end up falling in altogether, looking no different than their neighbors. Christians who overemphasize the not of part can look down their nose with disdain on their neighbors. Jesus loves the world. He eats and drinks and befriends and teaches and luxuriates in all the goodness of creation for which he will die and which he promises to make new. In this prayer, Jesus prays for his disciples. It means that Jesus is praying for us. Just as the disciples overhear what Jesus is saying in conversation with the Father, we too have the privilege of hearing the heart of Jesus. This prayer is for us. This means that you should go out and find out, discover what it means to be in and not of the world. Experiment. Stretch yourself and find out. If you overemphasize the in the world part, then make it a point to journey with someone in the not of the world part. And if you overemphasize the not of the world part, then do the same and make it a point to journey with someone in the in the world part. Jesus is praying for protection over us so we can be sanctified and sent into the world. Let's commit to praying for the world and actively figuring out the right way to act. Jesus covers us in prayer. Jesus has got our backs. So let's get one another's and go into the world. May it be so. All glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth to seek the Lord in faith, and you will be a blessing to the world. May God bless you and keep you. May God be kind and gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and bring us all peace. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.